Well, all right, everyone, we are back yet again. This is Michael Taylor with my co-host, Chris Logan. And we have made a tradition here of going after album anniversaries uh, by year. Earlier this year, we did 1989, which was absolutely insane with how many great albums are 30. Yeah, turning 30 years old this year. But not to be outdone, 1994 had a bevy of amazing releases, all of which are turning 20 this year. And uh, we wanted to get this in before 25. the yeah twenty five excuse me twenty five twenty five yeah, twenty five indeed twenty five <laughs> I'm getting see I'm getting old so I'm forgetting I, it's it's senile, easy, it's, senile. it is it's easy <laughs> to get turned around this stuff it's just it all makes you feel so old but uh, we wanted to we wanted to get this in before the year ran out so we want to make sure that we we got to nineteen ninety because there is a ton of great albums. 1994 was the year that we lost Kurt Cobain. And that kind of, like you were saying, left a big shadow over everything that came out in this year. It was... Yeah, uh, yeah the, the whole year, I mean, there, there's so many great releases um, where, where you kind of get the feel that alternative and... and um, there's even some metal stuff that is completely separate, but um, but alternative had really at this point just blossomed completely, but completely started to fade away um, with really the death of Kurt Cobain. Um, it would be like a couple years later where you could turn on your local alternative station and it's just crap. <laughs> it's just throw away alternative stuff at that point. Not, not the, um, not the, uh, patriarchy of, of, uh, of, of anything. They, they, they would go on to make two or three records and then break up and go back and work a day job somewhere or something like that. So it, it 94 seems to be that, that a, a last great year for a lot of, a lot of bands. Yeah, it was, it was kind of like the peak in the beginning of, of, of the end as far as, yeah. you know, it was, there was, I mean, the 90s as a whole were really, you know, just a great decade for alternative rock. But 95 was, it was, was pretty notable as being like the last year of so many releases, whereas 95, yeah. 96, 97, 98 all had great albums come out. But there just seemed like it'd be a real cavalcade that came out in, in 94 that we're going to hit on. Uh, by a lot of artists who are no longer with us, unfortunately, in, including uh, right. Kurt, Kurt Cobain. But I thought it might be fun to start off with one, an album that kind of hits close to home for, for, for both you and I, just because, uh, you know, we both grew up Fort Worth, Texas, which is not a place anyone thinks of as some great music scene. No. Uh, I mean, no. you, know, <laughs> you know, you think about the, the Fort Worth Stockyards and country music, all the kind of stuff, but... Uh, 1994 was a very weird year if you were someone in Fort Worth who went to the Fort Worth Club because one of the bands that we saw for so many years on a very small stage had a massive album with Rubberneck and that's the Toadies. Uh, the Toadies, uh, you know, I mean, I knew some people, I was going to school in the Midwest at the time and they're like, who is this band? And I'm like, I know these guys. I, 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 I've hung out with these guys. <laughs> And it was really cool to see them because so many other bands that we liked from from that scene didn't like Course of Empire bands like that didn't really uh, Funland didn't really get the, the, to hit mm-hmm. that hit that uh, hit that zenith like like the like uh, Toys Day Rubberneck which is just such a, a still such a fun album 
Um, I mean, it's just so raw and heavy and, and really it's a testament, I think to, yep. uh, to, uh, Vaden Todd Lewis's, uh, uh, vocals, which are just, I mean, I don't know where that voice comes from at that skinny little body. You know, this, it's just, this is this unholy whale. <laughs> and, you know, for, 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 for most people, you know, uh, nationally or internationally, they're going to just basically begin and end with possum kingdom, which was like the big hit single. But for right. uh, for us who you know listen to lots of Texas rock radio, know that Rubberneck had a ton of great singles. It had uh, "I Come from the Water," Tyler, which is right. which yeah. you know, which is very yeah. much kind of like a, a Texas version of um, of uh, the Pixies' uh, "Where Is My Mind." Very similar chord progression, um, you know, away. And, and, you know, to me, one of my favorite songs is not even a single. actually it was a single, but it didn't really get much traction, which was Mr. Love, which to me is just such a, such a great song and such a knock against a former drummer of theirs. It's kind of like a end joke. Do you remember the story behind that song? Behind which one? By Mr. Love. No, I guess not. I guess not. No. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the story goes that there was a drummer. I think his name is Michael Love. He used to be a course of Empire, and then he played with the Toadies. Michael Jerome. Michael Jerome. Michael Jerome. And, and I think that he had a nickname of of something with Love because he went and joined Pop Poppins, and that's why they go "Be patient." Yeah. Uh, uh. And that was like kind of a knock on the drummer. So they always had <laughs> really weird, like their lyrics are always are very strange in jokes, kind of a thing, you know. But uh, but it was just it was just really a really cool thing to see them get such notoriety and, and especially in such a strong album. It's an extremely strong record that, that we all knew was, was a, a big deal. Cause I mean, you know, it was released in 94, but it didn't hit until 95. Yeah. It took I a mean, while. It didn't explode really. And oddly, oddly the first, you know, uh, I believe, I, I think it was Possum Kingdom. My friend Randy Brown could, could correct me on this because uh, he's been, uh, you know, he's toured with the band and hung out with, you know, we all, we all know, we all know the Toadies. Come on, you know, but um, it hit first in Florida <laughs> of all places. I mean, the, is... I, 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 I'm pretty sure that Possum Kingdom made its first big impact in Florida and then it just started to spread around slowly and slowly, and you know, it, it became a, a seminal hit across alternative radio all across the country. I mean, we already knew that they were awesome, no matter no matter if they had really you know really reached that that um, nationwide notoriety. We already liked them, and they were loved dearly by by everyone. You know, even regionally, you know. Yeah, you know, what, what, you know whether it was here or Houston or or Austin or or wherever they, they they could still, you know, pack a house for you. That's for sure. Um, but yeah, great record all the way through. There's there's actually I, I know, uh, like I was saying, my my friend Randy, he's actually done a podcast with somebody. I don't remember who it was off the top of my head, but they just covered this album. And just focused purely on Rubberneck. I mean, and Randy's known the band for quite some time and, and been pretty well 
part of their scene. So anyway, yeah, uh, nothing I can out really add outside of, I agree with everything that you said. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's worth noting too, that with, with, with a few exceptions on this list, they're one of the few bands that are still going really strong. I mean, they, they're, they've got their own music festival that they yeah. have. I mean, they're, they're still putting, they're actually working on a new album with Steve Albini. I read, I got a press release recently. Yes. So that's really exciting. Yep. So they're still kicking ass. They're still. That should be very, very interesting. That should be very interesting. I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to that collaboration for sure. Definitely. So, you know, we're going to go, okay. we're going to go from Texas to a whole different uh, region. Um, as big as grunge was and heavy alternative rock was in 94, it also saw kind of the the emergence and the brief but interesting reign of Britpop, which was kind of fought on the, on the tail end of the whole baggy scene in, in Britain and was really the UK, like uh, teenagers, kind of their like clarion call to, to get, you know, to kind of break through and get some notoriety and, and, and kind of, you know, it was an interesting time uh, for, for the UK in history wise and all that. And I, there was a big resurgence in the kind of mod sound. And uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it was Oasis definitely maybe. Scene, yeah. Uh, I think, I think, yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 definitely maybe, which was, you know, such a, you know, it, it's, it's, Oasis are a weird band because they're not original in the slightest, but they are entertaining, and they're even more entertaining <laughs> for, 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 for their for their quips than they are for their songs. But you can't deny that you had Pulps, His and Hers, which was a great introduction to them. If, you know, they've been right. around for they've been around longer than any other Britpop act. They're around since like the early '80s, but that was kind of like their their yeah. I think His and Hers was actually like their third record. Or yeah, something thir- like that. Thir- third or fourth. And Which isn't hers about the third? Yeah. Something like that. So that came out. But on your list, you have got another one, which was a seminal. And this was, of course, the beginning of the Blur Oasis feud. And that was uh, Blur's album, Park Life. So let's take a minute to right. dish into that. Yeah, because I, 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 I was a huge fan of Laser that came out. Gosh, that was actually 91. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever Laser came out. Um, they followed that one up, their second album, as with uh, Modern Life as Rubbish. And you want to, for me, just as, as the American kid that was trying to sell a Blur record, it was hard for me to get into the, what what I perceived at the time as their sophomore slump at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Modern Life was, as, as Rubbish is thoroughly a, thoroughly a British record. Very I mean, much so. You know, for for crying out loud, like put rubbish in the in, in, in the freaking title of their record. Come on, <laughs> you know. But the, they they followed it up and then and then gave us a little bit of um, a, a little bit of a teaser almost because this is still a thoroughly pop, um, brick pop record all the way through. But they teased you with Girls and Boys, which was such a trash disco song. It's so much fun. I mean, the Pet Shop Boys had had had, had did a re, they did a remix of it, and it was just a blast. Total Duran Duran flashback. At, exactly. I mean, it's 
it's just it was a ton of fun. I I, I remember hearing it, you know, blasted at a couple clubs that you know I'd gone to around the time, and of course it was a twelve-inch version and so on and so forth. But this this record for me was really stacked, um, despite its overtly Britishness. You know, um, end of a century was great. Um, even uh, let's see, the self-titled uh, the the song itself um, from the album Park Life. Uh, to the end, this, this this record is thoroughly British, but yet at the same time, it's American friendly. Yeah, they it, they would they wouldn't confuse you more until their next album, which was very very British again. They they and that's what I appreciated about Blur. They never really busted through, except for a single or two um, from their records. But they they still retained being blur, and 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 I admired that for uh, you know for each record that they that they would actually put out from from really here on is because they gave you a little bit of a a, a, a good a good let's move to it song or something on on a, a record later on that would sound thoroughly like. Um, like an American band, but a British band that was, they, they were doing just fine. They didn't need the Oasis um, made up <laughs> feud. Mm-hmm. They were doing just fine. Yeah, there was, I think if you had to pick one word to describe Blur, it would be quirky. They were a very quirky group. Um, he had a very, yeah. mm-hmm. very quirky voice, not really a, a great voice, Damon Albarn, but definitely one that is unmistakable. And, uh, they just very angular. They, they just mix a lot of sounds together really, really well. And I think that park life was a really, yeah. a lot, it was a lot of people's introduction to the band. You know, I mean, a lot of people didn't really hear there's no other way or didn't, yeah. or didn't really hear chemical world on their second album, you know? So this was like their kind of their yeah. intro and definitely, I mean, just for Girl's the broke through it in, did in 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 the uh normal alternative radio because yeah you weren't going to hear there's no other way unless you, it was just played because you were already listening to girls and boys you know yeah and, for you know, sure that's the only reason why you, you might have heard that that anything from that first album but girls and boys was such a huge Gosh, man, trash disco. That's all I could think of every single every single time. <laughs> <laughs> and another, and you talk about Britpop. We also have to go back to the Source, which is one of the first bands that really, because Britpop was, was largely uh, a label created. Well, all labels for genres are created by music journalists, and uh, Britpop was definitely one that was that was conjured up by a lot of British journalists for enemy uh, and all those magazines. And the first band that really got labeled with that tag was Suede. And their first album was great. Mm-hmm. But when they came out with Dogman Star as the London Suede in the US, thanks to some copyright issues with the band in America called Suede, uh, it was the most British, yeah. British ornate, crazy, weird, so out of left field, so out of place in 1994 album right. that it... I, I'll never forget because at the time I had heard some of Suede stuff and I wasn't that into it yet. I, it took me a while to, for them to kind of soak in for me. Yeah. 
but I went to a, it was like a CD warehouse and I was kind of rummaging through and they put this album on and I was like, what is this album? What, what is this? This is crazy. And the guy was like, this is suede. And Uh I, and I bought it that day and just fell in love with it immediately because you talk about larger than life. You talk about production value out the wazoo. You talk about a great voice in Brent Anderson. You talk about Bernard Butler's guitar work. It's just jaw dropping. And overproduced in, in, in the best possible cylinders. way. <laughs> it was. I mean, yeah, just melodrama in the best. In it the was be- cinematic best, for sure. Yeah, and I, yeah. I just yeah, absolutely. I, I love the album so much. I mean, the Wild Ones, uh, still alive. We are the pigs. The glamours li- still alive. God, just so. Yeah, it's so great, and that's sadly was one of those albums that was just too weird and too British for it to really make a dent over here. Um, and they kind of had the sophomore Daddy slump. Was a, was one that? Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. Yeah, Daddy's speeding was great. That was fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, a whole song about James Dean. Just, I mean, it was my God. So, so good, but it was too weird for America and it kind of was too weird for Britain because they kind of had a sophomore slump, which is just uh, such a shame because the album is just, you know, I think now it's regarded as their best album. But I think Suede kind of got, Suede kind of got knocked. They were the first band to really get the label and then they were the first band to kind of fall off the radar. They never really got their footing back again, which I I still have a hard time understanding because to me, they're the best one. You know, it's like pulp's a close right. uh, pulp's a close well, second, I but think, you know. And I think this is a record that that actually Brits in our age age group that go back to and it, you know because there's always time for re- reflection. You didn't like a record so much back then, and then all of a sudden you pick this record up that you've known about. You probably even had at some point. And they 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 throw it throw it back into their you know on their turntable or in their cassette player or whatever the hell it is they start to stream it I don't know and then they go what the hell yeah <laughs> I mean this has been sitting out there this entire time and all of a sudden they're blown back completely because I I, I think it's 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 one of those records that it. They slept on it then, and now they're they're coming back around to um, they're coming back around to it. I mean, because by the time that they were putting out the next album, I mean, Suede really really kicked it in, really kicked in, in, in into another gear. It really did, and it's a shame that Bernard Butler le- left the band because he was so instrumental to that album. Yeah. Although they kept going strong and they're still putting out really good stuff. I mean, they got back together back in 2012 and their, yeah. their comeback albums have all been really beyond decent, really good. But there's something really they special. Something really special about Dogman Star. I really use them. <laughs> I could really, um, I, I, I never did see them. And so I'd, I'd, I'd really like for them to um, um, get it together and come over here to the States and play something else besides New York or Chicago or something. Yeah, you know what? I, I lucked out and I saw them in St. Louis for this tour. Um Did I you? I'm still oh, wow. I'm still amazed wow. amazed it happened. And I remember it distinctly, one because they were so great, but two because 
this was back, you know, when the whole seventies fashion was kind of come back in the style and they're all wearing their Huckapoo shirts, you know, and yeah. their flares. And I, and I had, <laughs> and I had, I had my, my, my thrift store attire on as well. And I had like long hair that was dyed black, just like their, oh, yeah. just like their new guitar player. And, and, and so I was with my right. friend, friend dancing up towards the front. And later on, this girl came up to me, started making out because she thought I was a guitar player. And then she found out that I wasn't, and she got all pissed off. <laughs> it was, it was like, it was really amazing. Because so I was like, "Oh my god, what's going on?" And she's like, "You don't have a British accent." accent. I'm like, "No, I'm, I'm, I'm not in the band." She's like, "What the fuck?" And she like stormed off. But that was, that was a pretty wild. What a special night. Yeah, it was pretty. I'll, I'll, That's I'll, great. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. But, but that's that's the passion that Swade Swade can produce right there. It just showed you, just you know. I know. And they've put out some really great reissues of it too, with like some bonus stuff. I I I have a copy of one, and they put out a second one. So they're, it's you're right. It does kind of live on, and I think it it's it's one of those albums that yeah, even today it's it's, yeah. it's, it's pretty timeless because it sounds like so many different eras all at once. Yeah. It's still a record that I go back to, and you know, you know, like before we we got on this call earlier, my wife and I were going over some of the some of the things from 1994. She was like, "Are you going to talk about this? Are you going to talk about this?" And I told her that you know, I've started to gauge a lot of these lists as 1994. In 1994, was a stacked up year. There was a ton of great stuff, but how much of it do I go back to? How much do what pulls me back to it? And this is certainly another one of those records that does it. All these records that that we talk about, for me, pull me back to it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not particularly a, a nostalgic feel. Even though, in some cases, I, 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 I will fly the flag of guilty. But a lot of these records, I still go back to today. And, you know, I, I may only hit a couple of tracks off, off that album, but I'm still drawn back to uh, it, it's it's gravitational pull is it's too much for me. Yeah, you can't. I have to go back to this record in particular. Dogman Star is certainly a record that I go back to. Yeah, it's kind of the best kept secret. As much as all of these records that we have today. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of the record all the cool kids, you know, in America got all the record store kids got. You know, it was it was just one of those special under the radar ones that the ones who got right. it got it, the ones who didn't, <laughs> the ones who didn't get it missed out. But you know, you're talking as about as a record store kid. It still took me about it still took me about two years to to be and 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 or get onto this this boat. Yeah, it still took me a couple years. Yeah, it just it just kind of kind of bided its time. I went headlong. Absolutely. And you know, you're talking about albums that you gravitate towards that still sound fresh and all that. And and speaking of the UK and Britpop, there was another genre that spawned from the UK that you that was just as influential, and that was trip hop. Um. Trip hop was yes. was this really interesting mix of like you know electronic music and, and hip hop from the, they had a very slow almost kind of druggy uh, very sonambulist uh, pace to it <laughs> and there were two releases that came out that year that are equally influential and they still hold up and that's Massive Attacks um, 
why am I drawing a blank? Massive Attacks Protection and, Protection. and Portishead's Dummy. Both of those albums still sound incredible. And you talk about yeah, you talk about fresh at the time, especially especially Dummy. When Dummy came out, that was like something that was out from another void. You were like this whole James Bond sound, spy soundtrack, Beth Gibbons right. creepy voice. It was so eerie and so beautiful, and the uses of samples were so cool, like uh, Isaac Hayes on Glory Box. Yeah, it just. Was such a, I mean, it's it's the kind of debut album that came out fully formed. It was, it could have been their sophomore or their, you know, whatever album. It, it did not sound like a band who was just getting it together. It sounded like a band who had their act together for a long time. Yeah, that this was this record was it really surprised me because I mean, if I liked it, I liked it right away. It was it was unique. It was a totally different sound. But even the people that it reached out to, they they weren't. I'm not exactly sure where where uh, or what the 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 people that should be listening to Portishead are supposed to be. What the target market was, to use the term. But the amount of of, of people from just a high school kid to you know, Karen, who likes to have her lattes on Tuesday afternoons after she drops the kids off, you know. I mean, it was fun. It was, it was, it was selling to people that I never thought that they'd even understand mm -hmm. the sound that was going on. But it was, it was hypnotic. And once you heard the one song, you were you were just you were taken taken in completely. Yeah, I mean their influence is so spread out. I mean you've got bands like the Deftones who love them. You've got people like Kanye West who loves them. I mean right. they've got you know Tom, right. Tom Morello. I mean they've got a really wide reach because yeah. I think it was because it had enough of a funky feel to appeal to hip hop people. It had enough of a really dark almost goth feel the appeal to alternative people. It just, it just mixed all those things so perfectly. Yeah. And, um, and in many ways, uh, protection did as well. Protection really kind of expanded on blue lines, yeah. their debut. And of course the title track with Tracy Thorne from every, I think, but the girl is just such a great song. Um, another really soul, yeah. soulful kind of meditative, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's got a lot of great stuff. To me, Massive Attacks, Masterpiece will always be Mezzanine. But this is definitely a, a close second, um, I think, as far as you got Karma Coma. And you got so many tracks with Tricky on it, you know, before he branched out and went solo. So it's still got his influence right, on right. that. And, uh, you know, Robert Donaggio is a genius in my view. I think he's kind of like the British Trent Reznor in many ways, as far as his use of production. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I just think Ooh, that's he, a good comparison. I like that. I think he's. I think he's just that innovative, and they're just. They're so. I'm so pissed. I missed them on their uh, mezzanine uh, anniversary tour that they didn't come here. It really killed me, especially with Liz Fraser touring with them. I just love that band so much. Yeah, they're one of my favorites. So, gotta give a shout that out. Would have been a great show. Oh God, yeah. Because I, I got to see him uh, back in 2009. Yeah. They played Dallas, and that was phenomenal. 
yeah, protection was really the the the, the song itself was was my initial into um, massive attack, and gosh, man, I love loved that song, and then it just it just fell into this whole record. This is a great album. You 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 picked you picked the most excellent one. It really sums up a lot of what what was going to happen as far as electronically. I think. Um, for the next, gosh, well, five six years. Honestly, there's there, there's a lot of stuff that I think gets influenced a lot more um, by this. Well, between Massive Attack and and the Portishead records, I think they they both are you know sort of collaborative within a sense that you could put them side by side in in, in your catalog. But I think this Massive Attack record highly influenced a lot of a lot of artists from from there on. You're going to hear a lot more of that over the next few years. How about we uh, switch it up a little bit and go with um, Pavements, Crooked Rain. There we go. That's one that definitely That's one of my selections. Needs to get us due. Is, that is one of mine. So I don't know how familiar you've been with Pavement. They've been the quote-unquote indie darling for um, several years. They... Uh, from the time they put out their first album in 92, Slanted Enchanted, and they had their, I, I don't want to call it a hit, but that's the closest right. word I got. But cut, cut Your Hair. Bay was a huge. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Cut Your Hair would actually end up being on Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain. Oh, see, I see. And there's my, there's my pavement knowledge for you right there. Yeah. So Not sl- too good. <laughs> yes. So, sl- yeah, Slanted it. <laughs> <laughs> and and you know, slanted and enchanted. It, it was one of those sort of lazy psychedelic indie indie type uh, bands that became huge per se overnight. You know, you'd find them opening up for the Sonic Youth, or um, I'm trying to think of who else might might have held that kind of weight um touring with dinosaur jr or or whoever you know uh at the, at that point uh but crooked rain crooked rain was sort of i don't want to actually call it a major label release but it was one of those that their indie label had a deal to where they were able to get it in more stores you know, it was like that subsidiary kind of deal. It was still on Matador, so it had a wider reach. But I was already a fan of of Pavement, and I still go back to this record. I, I go back to it more than any of their other records. Um, Silence Kid, uh, Cut Your Hair, like you said, that, that was probably... Not the closest that you're going to get from a hit out of them, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of psychedelic. It's melodic. It kind of raises a little bit. You know, it's weird. Uh, I may not be doing a good job of selling it, but that's not my job anymore. It's just one of those <laughs> things to where. And just kind of throw it on and throw it on, you know, sit back, have a drink, 
and enjoy your afternoon. It, 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 it's a fun record. Gold sounds, range lines. Oh, gosh, man. I, I just like this song, this song, this record all the way through. I really do. And I, I, I don't know anybody I'm just saying, man, just put it on. Give it, a, give it a shot. If it's the only one that you listen to from them, that's fine. But this is the one that you should listen to. Yeah, that's definitely a band that I should I should explore more. But I do recall the song "Range Life" because of its lyrics. I remember it said, uh, "Stone Temple Pilots are elegant elegant bachelors, and Smashing Pumpkins are nature's <laughs> children, and I don't give a fuck" or something like that. Right. <laughs> so they don't give a fuck. <laughs> just a very awkward awkward segue to uh, talk about Stone Temple Pilots' Purple album, which also came out. In 1994, <laughs> because that was kind of the polar opposite, I guess, of a band like Pavement. Um, STP were, yeah. you know, accused of riding on the coattails of other bands, accused of ripping off the sound of a lot of different bands, um, very chameleon-like, very Bowie-like, really, as far as Waylon is concerned, because his voice was so malleable and he could do so many different things with it. But I think Purple was kind of the first the album where they started to sound more like themselves. You got more of a of a sense of them, whether it's Interstate Love Song or Vaseline or um, yeah. there weren't as many callbacks to say an Eddie Vedder or Lane Staley sound. That it's definitely something kind of more getting into the Bowie seventies things and made me appreciate them more as a band. I still like Core. I still think it's a great fun rock album. I don't care if people want to. Mock and McCall Pop artist. That, to me, a, a good song is a good song. It's like it's like it's like the same thing with Oasis. It's like if they write a good song and, it, and it's catchy to me, I don't really care if they rip somebody off as long as it's good. Not every rock band has to reinvent the wheel. Um, and I think STP were a, were just a good example of that. And I think uh, you know, Unglued. There's just lots of good lots of good songs. Loungefly. It's got a lot of great, cool guitar work, really interesting guitar sounds, lots of use of dissonance. Uh, they were really good at like throwing in those little musical curveballs in there that kind of cut through something like melodic. They would throw in those weird chords, which I think were always interesting. Yeah. And I think it's another band that's kind of gotten more acclaimed as the years have gone by. People have been a little bit kinder to them than they were when they first came out. Um and uh, on that same note, uh, speaking of Range Life, I should also give a quick uh, shout out to Smashing Pumpkins, uh, Pisces Iscariot, which came out that year, which was a B-side collection. I'm not going to go into too much detail, but I will say it has some really great songs, Starla being the best, which is one of their best songs, period. And as far as it had Landslide, which is like a, a hit off of there, but it just showed that even their, even their you know, leftovers were still pretty damn catchy and, and engaging. So I'll just leave that right there. Yeah. yeah Pisces, Pisces was, was, I, I, I remember liking Pisces purple. This was a good record, man. They, they, it, it wasn't one of my favorites of that year, but back to what you said, it, they found their voice. They, they found their, their sound at that point. Cause I, I, I think core was, kind of floating a little bit more on on that that heavy the, the heavy side of what you know 
whatever it was that they were trying to do. Mm-hmm. But this is this is a record where they 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 found they found their voice. They found the the melodies that they were looking for, and it fit it fit the band completely. And by the way, just looking at it real quick, being produced by Brendan O'Brien, you can't fault any of that. No, because the guy is that guy. That guy is certainly uh, a, 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 he makes magic for sure. Yeah, very so, very strong producer. I don't know if he worked on them much much more, but uh, yeah, looks like he went out. But um, yeah, this was a record that they they found themselves on it. And you know, it also had a single on there called "Big Empty," which I think is a good a segue to the Crow soundtrack, which it was also on. And the Crow soundtrack was really, you know, you don't think about soundtracks so much anymore. Some come out, some are popular. You've got like your occasional ones like Drive and things like that. But soundtracks used to be a major, major thing, much bigger than they are now, much because they were really good sellers. Oh, yeah. They're kind of like a great way of record labels to to get some of their band's exposure um, on things like this. And the Crow was a particularly well crafted really interesting mix of bands um on there because you had the cure with burn one of my favorite cure songs period and talk about yeah talk, that's a great cure song talk about a song that's used so well in the movie too it's not just thrown on there it really has a place in the film yeah uh and then you've got you know yeah. you've got your helmet you got your pantera you've got stp you've mm-hmm. got you've got a nine snails doing joy division with dead souls a great cover You've got uh, Thrill oh, Kill, yeah. Thrill Kill Cult. You've got uh, Violent Thims with a really great song that sounded very different from anything else that they've done. you got Medicine, Jane Sibbery, just a, such a weird mix of people. And then you've got those bands that kind of threw on there to get, yeah. like, For Love, Not Lisa, Machines of Loving Grace. It's just, it's a really great... Oh, say that, that was... Yeah, with with somebody like For Love, Not Lisa, that that's like, well, they're on our labels. Yeah, you let's know. let's throw them a bone we, we here. Put a song from them on here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You got, Give them a few bucks. What do you it, what do you say? Yeah, <laughs> totally. Then you got like, but hint- yeah, it, it it really is an inter- It really is an interesting mix. Every you know, any anytime that you can throw the Cure and Rage Against the Machine on the same out, al- you know, mm-hmm. same album. Henry Rollins covering that's, Suicide. That's, right. Right. And you know, I'm. What was Judgment Night? Because that would be that would be after this, I think. I, I think, think Judgment I, Night, which which was, um, I actually, thought we covered it last year. Yeah, we did. Yeah, it came out ninety three. It's another great, another great soundtrack that we definitely. Dealt. Okay. Okay. Was that ninety three? Yeah. Because I, I was just trying to think. We're we're spinning in the dynamic because soundtracks were were. Were still very interesting. You you didn't have to stick to, well, here's your entire soundtrack by ELO. Mm-hmm. It was like a gra- grab bag you know, of stuff. It was it was right. It you're 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 putting it all over the map. Definitely so, and it's yeah, it's just it was a really great, and it's one I still listen to on occasion if I'm in the mood for some goth or just kind of mix it up you know you you, you can't do worse than the crow as far as a, a great shuffle of so many so many good bands 
and even the ones that aren't so great are put out yeah. some some good songs on there. So, so I think it's a definitely worthy um, pick for that year for sure. They can all be friends. Yeah, absolutely. They can all be friends. <laughs> absolutely. And uh, this is kind of out of left field um, because I don't really know how to segue into it, but uh, <laughs> I, it's just, well, it's just, it's, I'm it's, just looking at, at some of the stuff that you have and I'm like, wow, yeah, <laughs> what's it's, next? It's, it's a really weird, it's, a, it's so many, so many styles of music, but I got to throw out a bone to, to, to my favorite band, which is the cult. Uh, the cult came out with a self-titled 1994 album, which is like it's it's their it's their great lost album. It's an album that was so good, and it just fell through the cracks because they weren't cool anymore. Um, they weren't seen in the, in the light that they should be because the cult were always an alternative band with some rock influences, but they kind of they kind of after they put out Ceremony, which was a very weak album, they lost some traction. And so when they came out with this one. Um, which is raw and has elements of Britpop. It's got, it's got, you know, some grunge stuff going on and plus their classic sound. It's just a really super well-produced Bob Rock produced it, but you would never guess it was him because it sounds like something Butch Vig would have put together. Just a really solid, (laughs) really, really solid collection of songs that, that, you know, could have all been hits if they were, you know, had a different name on the album. But I got to see them on this tour. I actually got to meet them on this tour, uh, which was amazing. They were super, oh, wow. super, really? super, super cool to me. Um, it was definitely the kind of interaction really? you want when you meet one of your musical heroes. They were super decent. But yeah, yeah no kidding. Just, just wanted to give a shout out to that album because I still think "Next to Love" it's probably my favorite album, even over "Electric." Um, it's is it really? Yeah, it's it's really good. It's I think it's that good. And I wish that I wish that it had kind of got more appreciation, but but the fans like it. You know, it's got some techno influences on there too. It's all over the place, but it doesn't sound patched together. It sounds organic because the cult were always great at taking influences and and kind of nakedly and then just throwing their own thing together and making it work. And this is definitely an, an example of that. Why don't we? Dive Very into, nice. I'm dive, gonna have to go back to that one. It's really, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, I think it's on, it's on Spotify, and it's yeah, coming down, gone, joy. There's so many good songs in there. It's got "Be Free," which sounds like a Lenny Kravitz kind of jam on there. It's got "Star," which has a kind of a, a trip hop sound to it. It's just, it's great. It's really cool, and yeah. uh, definitely, definitely worth checking out. Oh, I know what what we should do. Um, this is kind of timely, and this is on your picks. Uh, we lost uh, last week. We lost the late great Rick Ocasek of the Cars, who, you know, it's oh yes. When, when you lose someone like Rick Ocasek, you really take stock of how many hits the Cars had. But what you forget is that he was also a great producer, and he produced the Weezer's "The Blue Album." Yeah. So yes, what, he did. And it, the, it, I'm not sure how he, he ran into or was assigned that uh, that job, but man, <laughs> that was another just one of those 
wizard behind the board kind of jobs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Weezer probably probably already had the the they had the right right songs going on there, but I do think that Rick probably had a lot more of a vision of what to put, what to really punch into the songs. And it's, it's so funny because whenever, whenever the um, blue album came out, I was still kind of green with um, uh, being in the music biz and our rep from uh, MCA universal records or whatever, whatever it was at the time. He knew me because I was usually the kid that was there whenever he stopped by to drop off posters and, and, and stuff. And he said, hey, I think you, out of anybody here, is going to like this band. And I was like, oh, really? Because I was thinking, he doesn't know me. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll put it on a little bit later. He was like, no, 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 no. Put it on now. And it was a full album. And it must have been, gosh, almost a month before this thing came out. I put that on. And, you know, the first song with that, that, I don't know, that crescendo into, my name is Jonas. Mm -hmm. And I was, wow. It caught me right. Uh, It caught me off guard and right in the mouth. And I'll be damned if I didn't have, you know, 10 or 12 other kids in the store go, man, what is this at that point? And this ended up to be this little band called Weezer. who had an album that they just called the Blue Album. <laughs> and we sold shit tons of this record. And I love this record. I, I, I ate this record up over and over. I still love going back to this record and not just because of like Buddy Holly and Undone, but like Surf Wax America and In the Garage Holiday, man, this is a good record. It's a great straight up good heavy pop record. I, I, I probably need to give Weezer a little bit more latitude these days and go see them. <laughs> But I I honestly fell in love with this record from the get-go. And I still love this record. Very, very catchy. Say It Ain't So is it's probably my favorite Weezer song. I absolutely love, just love that yeah. uh, hook. That little guitar hook they throw in there is, is, yeah. so, is so great. And yeah, yeah. it's so, so, so catchy. I mean, talk about an ear for melody. Rivers Cuomo really knows his way around a guitar hook and a vocal hook and right and yeah they were just that perfect kind of nerd rock you know thing that they had going on was just it really it yeah. just it, yeah it fit it fit the times and it just was really uh yeah what can you say man they're still and they're still going strong too yeah I, they really are they they really are still it, it, it it's really kind of funny how how much that they still are cruising around. You know, I, I know Rick did other work for him later on. I think he did the green album. 
Green yeah. album with him. Yeah, um, I think so too. I'm not sure what else if 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 if, if he did anything else, but. I'm going to hand it to Weezer. And, you know, I, I I tried blowing them off, but, man, they're good. <laughs> I apologize for anything that I might have said in the mid-2000s or whatever about Weezer, but, you know, I tried playing the Pinkerton card like, yeah, man, Pinkerton. What's <laughs> up? Don't you know? <laughs> and Pinkerton's good, but... Damn, the blue album's better. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it had it had hits for a reason. It was <laughs> right. Definitely, definitely had. And had... now they're just fun dudes. You know, they seem like they're they're really cool dudes that you can just hang out with and 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 have dinner and a couple beers and I don't know. They they just seem like normal guys. You know, blue album though. Yeah, if you don't have it, you should. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is really, really catchy. And uh, speaking of of catchy, there's another album that came out in '94 that really didn't get hardly any fanfare at all. And I and I mentioned it because I recently saw the singer in concert, and that would be Mamuna by Brian Ferry, mm-hmm. which was a fantastic album. See, that's that- how you say it. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's that's, oh, what, yeah. that's what I'm guessing. That's a that's a guess, but uh, I always I always slaughtered the the I, I didn't know how to ever say the the name of the album. I'm gonna go with yours now. But just such a gorgeous album with so many musicians from you know he had Roxy Music's his old bandmate Brian Eno was on there, Nile Rogers was on there, Robin Trower was on there, uh, pretty much everybody that he could cram into a room was on there. I mean, he has so many musicians on each song, but it always sounds like Brian Ferry. And uh, it's kind of weird. I made a mix, yeah. uh, a, a, a playlist for, for my wife to get ready for the show. And I put on the 39 steps, uh, not because, but I knew they wouldn't play it because he, oh. doesn't, he doesn't really ever play stuff from, from those albums live. Like he no. didn't when I saw him, but when I saw him live, he played 39 steps. I was like, Whoa, he did it. It was crazy. It was, of all the, really? of all the songs I picked, he played that one. It was it was crazy. So it was really no kidding. It was really weird. It was very very weird. But uh, man, Mamuna, the title track is just so cool. You got uh, Gemini Moon. Yeah, just so 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 many uh, so many songs. And Brian Ferry is like you know he's like an event guy. He only puts out an album like every five or six years. And he hadn't put out a, 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 yeah. a original album since uh, since uh, Bet Noir in like 1988. He had put out some covers albums, but you know this was like yeah. his original. That's right. That's right. And uh, just solid, great, good bedroom music. Good music to to make love to and to chill out to and to right. Just <laughs> have a stiff drink to. Well, and, and why don't I open this bottle of wine? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very much in in, yeah. in in the vein of of Avalon, really, I think in in lots of ways. Yeah. So solid. No, you know, no, you know what? I I I I totally agree with that because I remember uh, spending this one at the at, at the record store, and man, I couldn't I couldn't throw it on in the middle of the day because that just and it just 
it creates a different vibe. Mm-hmm. That's that was like a late night or early morning type record, you know, something, something, you know, kind of like to start wrapping, wrapping it up, you know. Yeah, it's... let's just take it easy, you know. <laughs> total, total, total. It was a great, great record though. Chill out music. And uh, speaking of chill out music, this it really is was kind of a weird segue, but. Um... You know, grunge, even though there wasn't a lot of grunge albums put out um, in Knife War compared to like 93, 92, there were a couple. Uh, one was A Jar of Flies by Alice in Chains, EP. And, uh, yeah. you know, this was their second acoustic EP. They put out Sap in 91, which is my personal favorite. I thought that was really strong. But Jar of Flies still had some really great tracks and. It's another great example of, of the melodies that Lane Staley and Jerry Cantrell, their dual, their vocal harmonies were so unique and cool for that band. Cause nobody really did vocal harmonies except for those guys in like Depeche Mode. You know what I mean? There's, there's not that many bands that do that, Yeah. but, but theirs were really special. And another guy we lost, you know, another great singer, um, just some really great stuff on there. So got to give, some love to Alice in Chains because they were definitely one of my favorite Seattle groups um, just because they were unafraid to rock, but also not afraid to have a more subdued, sensitive side to their work. So I thought they were pretty special. Yeah. And, and Jar of Flies was, was, it may have been one of the last ones that I really, really, really just all out dug from them. Honestly, because mm-hmm. um, I, re- I, I really did like it whenever they took it down and and went. I mean, they, they were already a fairly emotional type band, honestly. But, the, you know, just between that, that like you were saying, the, the, the vocals, the duo of vocals, the melodies between Lane and Jerry. Yeah, man, that was pretty special. Definitely just really put together some great, great melodies. And and I just can remember where I was when I heard some of those songs. They just kind of take me back. You know, you've got uh, Will and Wasp. Of course, you got the hit singles like I, um, I Stay Away, things like that. But Nutshell, so good. Rotten Apple, so good. Just really, really, really strong. And I guess also, since we're talking about grunge acoustic, we... We mentioned Kurt Cobain at the first of this thing. We, we'd be remiss if we didn't also give a little nod to the Nirvana Unplugged album that came out that year and yeah. became just as iconic as their, you know, plugged in for like a better word albums as, as their studio albums. Yeah. Maybe even more within a sense, since it you almost kind of felt like it was kind of his own. Like he wrote his own obituary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, between the Me Puppets Honestly, covers, it, it, and... the record came out. The record came out, you know, posthumously for him. Uh, it was like a Christmas release, practically, and it was, you know, of course, a a a huge, huge record for that year. But and the, the, there's, you can't help but start to think in some cases that. Man, did he know that they were going to put this out? Yeah, 
Yeah, you have to wonder, like... I mean, you know, if if it was sort of, I don't want to say of a grand, grand plan, but, you know... He was a he was a strange strange fellow for sure, but that Nirvana unplugged record was certainly. Uh, I mean, if you're going to go leave that as your as your lasting legacy, uh, as far as what you do for record for a record, then man, <laughs> that's that's a really really good way to go out, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, I mean, guess. <laughs> I don't want to say it like that, but you know. Yeah, that that Nirvana. I mean, Kurt Cobain. I mean, you remember when you were when you heard those that news? Um, I'll never forget when I heard that news. Just hit you like a punch in the stomach, and this came out and just kind of rubbed the wound a little bit as far as just realizing what we lost as far as such a talent and and uh, such an interesting performer. That just couldn't yeah. couldn't couldn't hack it in the long run, which is a shame. But that's just kind of yeah how it goes sometimes. And I guess yeah. I guess along those lines, we have to mention one more grunge album from that year, which is definitely in my top two or three of nineteen ninety four, and that's a. Uh, Super unknown by Soundgarden. Um, oh yeah, really took their songwriting up a notch, and just made <laughs> some, you know, talk about full of hits. And you got "Fell on Black Days," you got "My Wave," you got "Spoon Man," and of course you've got you know "Black Hole Sun," which became an anthem, which became one of the you know biggest hits of that decade. Um. I mean, yeah. the music video was so perfect for it and, and really show Chris Cornell's talent as a songwriter and a vocalist, just the, that very Beatles like composition that he, that he came up with, but also, mm-hmm. also the deep cuts like 4th of July, which is one of my favorite Soundgarden songs or drown me and you or, right. or the, the unfortunately titled like suicide, which really is hard to listen to now. Um, it, right. <laughs> it, it's just it's rough it's rough listening to it now it just really really is and uh but my god talk about a vocalist you talk about a performer uh sound kickstand <laughs> oh yeah kickstand <laughs> kick <stand> was... <laughs> it's 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 a short it, it's a short one but and and you know, all everything you mentioned is absolutely outstanding. Um, I really did like kickstand. <laughs> you got the juice. No, feel sure my cup. Yeah, it was like a little punk rock, little punk <laughs> rock ditty. Yeah, just right there. You know, not even in the middle of the record. It's it's like okay, we're about to hit the end of this record, but here you go. Yeah, this is kickstand. It's kick, kick, nice. kick, kick, kick out, kick out the jams with kickstand. Yeah, it was it was a good little right. little little rocker. <laughs> I think he had like really weird stuff, like half, and just it was some very strange things to be in such an album that sold sold so many copies. But uh, yeah, talk about a talk about a talent. And the guy we lost, it I just still drives me crazy. 
but uh he uh that was that was quite the quite the release and definitely their biggest album for sure yeah even though i i i don't put them in the category but at the time it was convenient for their label to put them in the category but um i like to throw out for you one Melvin's oh yeah um, their album being Stoner Witch which is about as commercial of a record as you would probably get from them ever uh, I, I, I've always you know ever since I heard the first you know big riff from them and let's see I'm trying to think it may have been from their album um, was it? Was it my soul? No, it wasn't my soul. Uh, it was a bullhead. It was from Bullhead, and it was just this. I mean, chest. I mean, it, it just. It, I just felt it in my chest with Anaconda, and. They they've had me under their hypnosis for for quite some time, um, and I was very happy to see that that they were, um, I guess you might say, moving on into the next stage of their career. At that point, I mean, you know, they'd only been around for a few years at that at, at that juncture. They had money to to do the production that that they wanted to do, and you could just count on Buzz creating something just thunderous mm-hmm. to begin with. But yeah, I mean, this record for me, we we all like to hear Road Bull and Revolve live. Um, I like Squeetus and Queen. Um, I like this whole record, Sheevil. <laughs> I mean, I like all of it, honestly. <laughs> There's nothing. There's nothing on this record that I dislike, and I would. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of if I'd seen them perform this one all the way through, because they did those tours that they did the album all the way through. I don't remember if I saw this one or not. Anyway, just a bag of thunder, and probably one of my favorite bands to come out of the '90s didn't come from around here yeah yeah they were that's for sure they were no one's like the melvins man and they're still doing their thing they just uh yeah so no one will ever be like the melvins <laughs> so heavy if you try to copy the melvins it would just not it, it, it's just not going to work for you if you try to be like the melvins it's just not going to work don't try it, kids don't try it so heavy and and so weird. Whenever they say it's already been done, yeah, and it's 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 an unmistakable show. Yeah, it really is. Now you you were able to interview Buzz, didn't you? Yeah, I've interviewed Buzz and I've interviewed Dale too. Um, so I've I've had awesome. a, a double dose of of Melvins, which is and they're both great talk to. So and I wasn't sure how it was going to go, but they're both super super nice and. And really funny nice. and, and awesome. definitely got their, you know, 
know what they're good at and knock it out. But, uh, right. you know, you think about strange rock, you think about the Melvins and another band you think about is, is ween. And I think ween arguably, yeah. arguably released their masterpiece. You could, you could, you could say it's, it's it's uh, the ninety sevens the mollusk or you could say it's chocolate and cheese from nineteen ninety four, and chocolate and cheese so yeah. so crazy because you had like seventies funk you had this like <laughs> S- Spanish ballad you had um you know <laughs> country you had really weird psych rock you had just strange experimental stuff I mean it's just uh cocktail jazz it's just crazy it's like everything you could think of in in one album which is kind of their their forte you know and uh the production is really great they had a a tear for eddie which is like prove that dean ween could could actually play guitar he wasn't just faking it or, or or playing songs that were out of tune on purpose like he was actually like wailing like like with amazing like 70s funk guitar is uh just yeah, that was like the album that I, I I was already I was already into Ween, but that was one that was like maybe just like a this is one of my favorite bands kind of an album. You know, can't right. can't put my finger on it. They, Voodoo they Lady. Have, they certainly have been able to 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 build quite the following, you know, within a sense too. So I I'm I'm, I'm not even sure if they're officially together anymore, but whenever they play, man. I think I saw the chocolate and cheese tour, honestly. I did too. Um, in, 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 in Dallas. And, and that was, man, that was such a fun show. They're great. Like, they live. were so cool with everybody. And, and it, it, it rocked. It rocked. I, I, I figured it would just be this like really kind of like quirky angular show with, um, you know, you know, just, just being weird. I thought it would just be a weird show, but man, they they got on stage and they just they belted it out, man. Yes, I know, cat. <laughs> yeah, crazy. Yeah, that was kind of like their transition from like weird, quirky art band to you know a full blown jam. Yeah, seventies arena rock just band. Full on, just yeah, yeah. And wouldn't the next record be the Mollusk, where they were just doing like this, like sort of shanty, sea shanty yeah. type record? Yeah, the entire album or, was, a, was in three, it, four it time. Wasn't a sea shanty, but yeah, I mean the the it, it it still it still just shows that you know they don't rest. <laughs> no, they don't. They, they they don't rest for anything. Yeah, just. Such a such a great such a great album, and uh, I actually got to interview Dean Ween a couple of times, and he's been absolutely hilarious. Oh, cool! Um, definitely everything you will want a guy from Ween to be, just totally like no holds barred, n- nothing's not PC in the least. Um, definitely entertaining. So yeah, Ween chocolate and yeah. cheese. I guess that makes for a pretty good trans- <laughs> transition, though, as far as quirky indie rock. We could go into one of your picks, which was uh, uh, Guided by Voices, uh, B-1000. Oh, yeah, yeah. Boy, you want to talk about, well, it it, 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 it really they really kind of get mislabeled as being a, 
uh, quirky, honestly. And at the time, I, I just thought that they were just like this cool little lo-fi band that happened to be uh, out of Ohio or whatever. But gosh, B Thousand ended up being that was their seventh record, and I didn't realize what was going on with with Guided by Voices, but they would put out like two releases a year at at, at, at some point. But B Thousand was really for me, uh, the breakthrough since it was really the first one that that I I actually got to hear, and somewhere in there in in, in that record, you're getting this lo-fi early British invasion sound going on. You know, it's all made on this beer budget, but man, the songs just really kick with some some who some kinks going on. Um, of course it, 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 it has, it's going to have a little bit of psychedelia with it, but man, B thousand is, is one of those that I'm not sure if I want to call it an underrated, um, masterpiece, but it certainly is overlooked. Mm-hmm. Sure. And those guys are still trucking along at, at, at a furious pace. They break up, they get back together, they put out six records, they tour, <laughs> you know, and, and that's just the band. <laughs> Robert Pollard, the, the lead vocalist, seems to do do his own thing whenever he feels like, and so he's he's got a a, a master list of 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 releases on his own. But B thousand, yeah, that's that's certainly. That's certainly a, a, a key record, especially for the 90s. Sure, they're definitely kind of indie rock royalty in that way. They really just kind of gained a cult following pretty quickly, it seemed like. They just really kind of, uh, thanks to the music press they got, such a great press they got, they really kind of allowed them to get a following fairly quickly and really just kind of took off from there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So how about we talk about Danzig 4? <laughs> All right. There, there is no good transition there. Uh, but yeah. We, 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 uh, we, have reached, we, we have reached the metal portion of our program this evening. We, we, we have. <laughs> we definitely have. Uh, Danzig 4, man. That was the last album that Rick Rubin produced uh, for for uh, Danzig, and it really was like a better produced version of Sam Hain's stuff. It wasn't the same mother kind of stuff. It was much more kind of goth sounding, uh, much creepier. It was following on the success of Mother though, because you know, they had that weird thing where the song from 1988 got popular in or 19 yeah got popular in. 1992 which is just so odd or 93 i forget but uh this was like their big follow-up to that and it did not really perform well commercially because it was people were expecting mother and it was not anything like that at all but danzig was like fuck it i'm doing what i want and he went and did a goth (laughs) a a, a goth album essentially um but it's like it's a good one i mean you've got songs like until you call in the dark you got dominion brand new god sadistical i mean it's just got a lot of great uh, i don't mind the pain which 
was a definitely a kind of an ode to Johnny Cash, um, which I should also mention that he wrote the song 13 for Johnny Cash, which appeared on American Recordings that year, which is also worth giving a, giving a mention to. Uh, another Rick Rubin produced album. Got to give Johnny. Oh yeah, gotta, yeah, yeah. Got to give Johnny Cash his due. But yeah, so those are two great albums right there from that year. That um, definitely dark and moody and brooding and and just some some good stuff. So why don't we move from that to Nas Illmatic? <laughs> I think you're out of transition, so we're just going to go bounce around. <laughs> well, and and actually to 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 fill in the blank there with with the middle portion i'm, I'm gonna hit actually nail bomb real quick okay yeah uh, before we hit nas <laughs> so and uh, nail bomb was was a group that had um it had uh max from sepultura fame who were fairly fairly huge in 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 metal at that point and then it had the not as well known, but monstrous musician Alex Newport, who at the time was just um, in the in a band called Fudge Tunnel, which was one of those <laughs> like uh, outer, <laughs> yeah, it was it was like a like like a second or third tier uh, earache band. Mm-hmm. Um, what song was really cool though? Uh, I, I saw them actually open for, and this is probably where where, where the relationship started. But I saw Fudge Tunnel open for Sepultura in '92 or so, and they uh, Fudge Tunnel was a, a, a very, I mean, kind of in the lines of like what what, what you would think of Melvin's at that point. They were slow and sludgy, and it was heavy. And I remember they did a version of Sunshine of Your Love that will never leave my brain. <laughs> and it was, it was, it, it took a two, it took a three minute song and turned it into five and a half minutes. <laughs> nice. It, it took it so long to happen, but it was heavy and it was great. And then whenever he got together with um, Max from Sepultura, they just put out this blistering, really at that point, it was, it was sort of sort of that new wave of metal that was going on where it incorporated um, mostly just heavy, um, heavy riffage and, and that, that, thundering drum beats but then they sampled um kind of a la like a ministry at that point Mm -hmm. and it was a fantastic record and it was only one that was it they put out one record there's one studio album and i think there's a live album but that's it And I, I I was a fan of Max because I liked Sepultura, and I was a fan of Alex because I was a fan of Fudge Tunnel. And I, man, I go back to this record. This record just, man, it gets me. It was just called it was called Point Blank, 
and it had one of those controversial covers where it shows uh, like a Vietnamese with a gun pointed at her head. Oh, yeah. Vietnamese well, lady with a gun just straight at her temple. You've probably seen it, you know, a hundred times, but, and I'll be honest, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to try out a whole bunch of like, you know, uh, song titles or anything like that because um, I don't really remember them all that much, but um, it, it, it it it's a it's a great it's a great blistering uh one it's 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 a good record if if you're a fan of just straight up heavy check yourself some nail bomb because you've probably already heard of pantera yeah and i and i guess we should also give a brief shout out to be uh, far beyond driven which came out that year as well so there you've got another big metal release. Yeah. Um, and I guess I also, before well, we... Yeah, I, that was a huge metal release. I mean, that really kind of solidified their their hold on the market um, after Boulder Display of Power. It really showed yeah. Dimebag Daryl kind of at the height of his powers with um, his the riffs he was coming up with. Um. So that was something, and uh, I guess they, they were they were the metal band. Of, they were the metal band of the '90s for sure. They were. They were like the one band who was like unapologetically metal. They didn't try to be anything else but metal, and that was a smart move on their yeah. part because it got them and got them the audience that they were looking for. So for sure, yeah. and I guess before we go into Nas, on, I guess on, on we'll the go- other side of that, well, well, with real real quick, I'm gonna hit. And these are it's like I, I guess you might say honorable mentions. Not not because that they were great records or anything that I listened to back then, but in '94, this black metal scene that was going on in in the Norwegian area was really exploding with Emperor in the Night Side Eclipse, um, Mayhem, Day Mysterious, Dom Satanas. <laughs> and then Dark Throne with Transylvanian Hunger. And all three of those records are just linchpins to the entire black metal scene. That if if you know, if those records weren't weren't really there and present, then um whatever black metal is, whatever you wouldn't think it is, wouldn't be what it is today at all. Because it, it 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 really it sowed the seeds at that point. So, and I I enjoy myself a good black metal record every once in a while. Helps uh helps keep dust out the cobwebs, as as they say. It blows the. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> Have you seen Lords of Chaos? I haven't. I haven't. Have you seen it? Yeah, yeah. It's definitely worth watching if you're, you know, got any appreciation of the black metal scene. It definitely kind of shows it for all its absurdity oh, yeah. and, and weirdness and everything else. So definitely, definitely worth worth a watch for sure. Um, it certainly, it, yeah, yeah. If 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 it's if if it's streamed somewhere, I'm 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 sure I'll because I am fascinated with with that culture. Um. And I like I like some of the music, um, but I'm, uh, 
it is thoroughly fascinating. So, it is. It's so alien find it. from what we've been exposed to. Yeah. <laughs> for, for sure. Uh-huh. And I guess I'll give a real quick uh, shout out to two albums uh, going back to the UK. Um, well, actually, no, you know what? I'm going to stop that because you, you need to do Nas. And I also wanted to mention before that, Corn uh, put out their self titled debut album in 1994. Corn yep. went on to really wear out their welcome pretty quick by not putting out their best foot forward and kind of becoming a parody of themselves. But that first album is pretty damn strong. I mean, it really was, it really sounded fresh for the time. Um, they kind of took the whole Rage Against the Machine thing and tuned it lower and creepier and, and had some very, you know, naked confessional lyrics and, Jonathan Davis had a very interesting stage presence and the guitars and it's like buzz saws. And, and I think that, you know, <clears throat> they're one of those bands that peaked with their first album that happens sometimes. Bagpipes. So, 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 yeah. Bagpipes. <laughs> yeah. And shoots and ladders, you know, it's so weird, but it worked, but you know, they just, they were so, <laughs> they were so good on that, on that first record, but they never could really kind of, recapture that and uh uh but it's solid it's a solid album and even though they kind of became a punchline for lots of things and they birthed the whole genre of music that had some very regrettable entries it's not their fault (laughs) 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 they were doing their own they were doing their own thing and it was pretty fresh for 1994 anybody else that you need to I think you we, want to touch on it? I think we we can hop into Illmatic if you want to go into that. You do that, and then I'll... Yeah, I, I, and, and my Illmatic, yeah. Illmatic is one of those records that that it took me a couple of years to to um, to get back into, you know, um, not, not as long as like a suede or anything like that, because that, that didn't take that long, but Illmatic had been out for a couple of years and, and I just, you know, kind of pushed it aside, but man, I gotta tell you, it is an excellent, excellent debut. It doesn't have the, the, the jazzy funk of a uh, tribe called quest, but it's, he certainly, Nas does certainly rival, um, somebody like Jay-Z in, 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 in the term of, uh, and and I, I don't know if you're a fan of Jay Z and and at least his early because his early material is is really is really pretty cool especially if you touch on Jay Z's album Reasonable Doubt that's that's an outstanding outstanding record um, Illmatic for um, uh, as far as a debut goes still has that it has that cool gritty flow which may sound a little little offset but um it it has that new york grit but his his delivery just is almost in line with the q-tip who actually was one of the producers of of that of that particular record i believe oh really um, interesting you know it, yeah it, it, he, he was he was part part of the scene um with um with Nas early on. Um 
the funny the funny thing that I, I that that really struck me was the person that really was the the big Nas fan early on was a fella named MC Search. And if we do our hip hop homework, MC Search was in third base. Oh yeah. And third base was the was was the was was the white guy hip hop group that came out of New York. <laughs> Which I thought was strange. Yeah. So uh, and, and we can say all we want about third base, but you know, back at the time, they were they were a, a, a pretty big thing. They were a pretty big thing, and at at some point, MC Search had a a fairly good voice to say, "You guys need to check out this kid named Nas." And if you go back and listen to Illmatic. It may not blow you away right off, but if you think in the terms of this is 1994 and this is this kid's debut, he's certainly done done some pretty fairly good stuff. I'm, I've, 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 I've followed him off and on since then, but um, I, I think I think Illmatic is 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 a is, is a strong record, man. Real strong record. I think I'm going to do just a. a- brief uh rundown of some of some uh, before we go to the final stretch here of some honorable mentions because there are so many albums that came sure, out that sure. year yeah. even even something i'm not that crazy about but we got to give yep. shout shout out you've got uh green day dookie you've got pearl jam vitology whole live through this the beastie boys yep. Ill, Ill communication you got jeff buckley grace um rem monster <laughs> beck beck mellow gold right there's just so many that it's uh sugar file under easy listening cranberries no need to argue it's just so many that we nick nick, nick cave let love in it's just it's a lot caius yeah. welcome to sky valley that's <laughs> one that, that yeah i know it's just it's a lot I know. so just to give out a just give out a, a few jawbreaker and jawbox all in the same year you got Job, yeah and and yeah that uh, let's see. The job box record was for my special sweetheart, which, oh man, <laughs> Jawbreaker. <laughs> what was Jawbreaker's record that year? Was that um, Dear You? Yeah, I can't even remember. No, it wasn't Dear You. That must have been twenty four twenty four hour revenge therapy. I think is what that one was. Either way, it, it it was still a jawbreaker record, and I was a fan. Yeah, jawbreaker, jawbreaker. Helmet, Betty. You've got Seal second album. Just a lot of great stuff. And uh, no, and, I know. And then of course, well, and go it, ahead. It, it, go ahead. No, you go, go ahead. ahead. Well, I was going to say, and then there were some other other indie. Other indie things, um, Drive Like Yehu with Yank Crime. Oh yeah, those and guys. And then Jesus Lizard with Down. I mean, jeez. Yeah, twenty-four yeah. hour revenge therapy it was ninety-four for Jawbreaker. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just so hard to. And I was going to go into more detail, but I'm, in the interest of time, I'll, I'll just go ahead and, and briefly. Talk about yeah. uh, two albums that 
another genre that was yeah. get, getting getting uh, some traction in 1994 was Electronica. And the UK produced two other great ones here. You got right. Aphex Twin with Selected Ambient Works, Volume 2, which was a monster album of just... Great record. Crazy tonalities, crazy sounds, like weird dreamscape, Brian Eno on acid kind of soundscapes just so wild and weird and talk about talk about somebody that still sounds relevant or fresh or just totally so so odd that he doesn't really date apex twin for sure and yeah easily just yeah just just great chill out just you know kind of block out the world kind of music and on the yeah. Flip, flip side, you've got Prodigy, Music for the Jilted Generation, which is one of the best high-energy <laughs> right? techno albums ever. It predated their, you know, Fat of the Land and Firestarter and all that, but just so solid. Um, and not really anything from Keith Flint. He wasn't really on the album, um, Rest in Peace, another guy we lost. But uh, just Liam Hallett was just a monster. He's just a monster producer. And he has some great tracks on there. So, what would you say is your favorite album of 1994 if you had to if you had to choose? Oh, jeez! 1994 favorite record. Mm. Gosh, you know what? I'm trying to remember what it, what what I told people back then because. You know, I know we, we, we talked about this last year whenever we talked about 1993 because I specifically remember telling people that Smashing Pumpkins, Siamese Dream was my favorite record from 1993. And I don't know why that still sticks in my head. For 1994, God, I, you know, I got to be honest, I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm in 2019, I'm really, I'm really not even sure because <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember what I, what I told people back then. A, first off, and second, you know, whenever I go back and reflect on some of these records, I mean, I could tell you that Dogman starts my favorite record at one point, and then I could turn around and tell you that. I think that that um, Drive Like Yehu, Yank Crime was my favorite from that year. Or I can tell you that Weezer, Weezer would be, you know. Uh, I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure what direction to go, honestly, you know. In, there's, a, there's a lot to choose from, for sure. There's, yeah, and, and I... I it goes back to that whole gravitational pull. What what grabs me still today, as it did then. These are all great records, and I don't even know. If you have one, shoot it, man. What is it? I think if I if you asked me what I said in 1994, I think I probably would still sell you the same thing now, and that would be Nine Inch Nails, The Downward Spiral. I think that was. Oh. That was Trent Reznor's finest hour, I think. 
as a producer, as a musician, as a lyricist. I think that it was such, it really showed how much he had progressed from Pretty Hate Machine and Broken and made such an uncompromising album that was still accessible, you know, for songs like yeah. Close, Closer or March of the Pigs, that he could make something that, that you know, abrasive, so so listenable, you know. But then still, and, and Hurt, yeah. Hurt, of course, you know, which is an amazing song, amazing yeah. no matter who covers it, whether it's Johnny Cash or Peter Murphy. But uh, just so, so powerful. And then you've got, you know, songs like Eraser and Big Man with a Gun and, and Mr. Self-Destruct, which are so heavy. He just covers all the bases. And the production is so stellar. The production on the album is still... It's pretty, pretty flawless. Ruiner is a great example of yeah. amazing production. I do not want this. Yeah, yeah. Just heresy. Oh, my God. You can go on and on and on and on. And uh, I saw this tour. It was... You just just say the whole record. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, really. Yeah, it there, really is. It, it really is. There isn't a bad track. There really isn't. Um, I... I, I got to tell you a funny story real quick because I went to the listening party for this album and they played, you know, of course they're, they're, they're playing the full album and this is like a week or so before it actually comes out and they played closer and then they got to the chorus where I want to fuck you like an animal. Mm-hmm. And I, I had, Gone with a, a guy that I, I worked with, Dan. Um, uh, I can't, uh, Dan Bertone. Oh, um, anyway, he uh, he and I went went to this this listening party, and it, we were listening to the song. And it was like, oh, shit, man, this this would make a hell of a single, <laughs> you know. And 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 then and and then all of a sudden the the chorus happened. I'm going to fuck you like an animal. And I thought, you know what? It's not going to work. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not going to work. Yeah, I mean, he's <laughs> just fucking it. Not even remotely in my mind thinking, hey, we can just bleep out that word. Yeah, just censor it. Right? That didn't happen all that much. I mean, first off, we didn't have, I didn't encounter a lot of sing or, or potential singles that might have profanity fuck or or profanity or, or just anything any kind of cursing in it whatsoever and then that song came on and it never occurred to me that they could just bleep the word out and it was absolutely genius that they did that because that sold way more records. Whenever you bleep a word out, people actually like that. They, they feel- like that little sense of, ooh, what's that word? Mm-hmm. Okay, I got to get that. I got to get that record. Let's fill in yeah. the blanks. Yeah. Let's fill in, what is he actually trying to say? <laughs> okay. Yeah, I saw him on this tour. It was always way entertaining. Never, never expected it. Yeah, and it was massive hit. It became a hit that everybody across the board liked. 
I remember I saw this tour. It was uh, Nine Inch Nails, Marilyn Manson, and uh, a Jim Rose sideshow. Yeah, and, and that was that was a <laughs> that was a, that was a tour right there. That was something else. That was pretty. Where, where did you see that? I saw that in, in St. Louis when I was going to school up there. I saw that at the Fox Theater. It's really great old theater. Okay, okay. And uh, yeah, it was it was amazing, just absolutely amazing show. And it, it and it and it proved that you know they weren't just a studio act that Trent Reznor could translate that into a live show, which is pretty impressive too. It's not all just you know dat tapes and yeah. back then yeah. and and stock keyboard sounds. He was really rocking it, and uh, yeah, just still to this day, I I I. Is I, there I, anything that you can take out of a, a, a go? Yeah, yeah. Finish your thought. Finish your thought. Oh, I just say I just admire the hell out of Trent Reznor because he's still doing great stuff. He's managed to become a healthy, well-adjusted guy after years of being this tortured loner, and he's still making great music. So I just think that he's just—he's the real deal. I've got a lot of respect for that guy. Uh, yeah, and and if if you haven't seen Nine Inch Nails live, you're doing yourself a disservice. That is that is so because true. They're. I've seen them open for Peter Murphy where they were opening, doing the, the pretty eight machine material. Oh yeah. I remember hearing about that. That was fantastic. That that was, that was really good. That was really good. I mean, you know, got head like a hole in sand and all that good stuff. But now what, what he's doing at this point is, transcendent from anything that I would have imagined that band to evolve into. Mm-hmm. They really are. They are putting on such a, a great production and the band that he puts together is so intricately. I mean, I mean, woven in it's it. Yeah. If, if nine snails comes to your town, go see it yeah do not do not pass it I'm... for sure yeah in 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 2019 or 2020 or 2021 if trent reznor's touring whatever whatever it is whatever year it is go see him now because yeah. he's going to put on a banger of a show for sure because yeah, i've seen him i've seen him five times now and uh I actually got to see him at the ACL, the the taping, live taping of the Austin City Limits show, which was incredible to see that. Ooh, that, wow. That, that was awesome. Very nice. And even then that small stage he That's still cool. still had a great setup. Yeah. You you can't you can't do do worse than seeing Nine Inch Nails, man. That's just gonna you'll get your money's worth for sure. You won't come away thinking you didn't get your money's yeah. worth. Because he puts it all out there. Absolutely. Now that's all I have to add. Any other albums you want to touch on before we wrap up, or? Man, no, I think I think that's good. Well, thanks again for joining yeah, me I on think this. That's good. It's always a blast to get to do this with you and look back on on our albums of our youth. It's always a good time. Hope you all yeah. enjo- enjoyed it. And if we have time, we're going to try to delve into nineteen ninety nine next so stay tuned for that we have five minutes and we'll get to that but until then thanks for listening (laughs) thanks for joining in chris it's always a pleasure and we'll do this again soon
Hey, thanks, Michael. Appreciate it. All right, man. You have a good one. I'll talk to you later. All right. Thank you.